0: Hello and welcome to The Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Kayley. We are coming to you after the World Cup final. Had a couple days to digest, to think, to have massive back spasms get lost to the world for two days and muscle relaxants, all the sorts of things that happen. And so we are now back with the most important questions to cover after the World Cup final. And that is, I'm just checking my notes here, um... That is the question of people who have said that Lionel Messi is not a great player and were proven wrong by this World Cup. We're going to start with the most notable of these, the chef and Instagram celebrity Salt Bay. I'm beginning to feel like this is a little made up. Like, maybe this isn't as big a deal as it's appeared to be on Twitter. I don't know. I'm joined by Mike Goodman. We're going to sort of s- sort this out if this is going to be the focus of the podcast or not. How you feeling, Mike?
1: Better. Thank you. The music heard of the way is The Wilders. Please download, descri- download subscribe, make us happy as podcasters. Patreon.com slash double pivot. As always, I no longer have any idea which podcasts are going where, so maybe you already all make us happy as podcasters and hang out on our Discord and all those good things. If not, you should. Um... God, Salt Bay, what a jerk. How—I I don't understand how he was down on the field at the end of the finals. I mean, I do understand how he was down on the field at the end of the finals, but I don't understand how he was down on the field at the end of the finals. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly just very impressed
0: that he has turned one Instagram video and totally mediocre cooking skills into, like— international celebrity and apparently a large successful corporation like
1: it's really something else yeah man we can talk about the game though because the game was really good (laughs) yeah and like so you know Messi
0: won his World Cup and Messi was fantastic throughout the World Cup and then fantastic in this match in the World Cup and that's great, and I was cheering for Argentina because it just at the end of t- at the end of it all, it just felt justified that the greatest player of all time should have a World Cup. It's very funny to me how many people have gotten very up in arms for like you know nonstop now for a week about. People disrespecting Lionel Messi. Yeah, people are not disrespecting Lionel Messi. People have not been saying that Lionel Messi can't win. Like, I mean, come on, ju- just
1: enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, there was there, there was like actually this from like two angles because like leading into the match, like there was sort of like the will this make or break Messi's legacy, and then it was like no messi's legacy is made everybody kind of agrees that messi's legacy is made this is just like can the ball bounce his way for a couple more matches <laughs> um all of, so there's all of that going in and and they were like look there were storylines aplenty to this uh you know at cbs i think we leaned really hard into like messi versus mbappe because like Messi versus Mbappe? Like, how could you not? Uh, and, and and the game, like, in many ways legitimately was Messi versus Mbappe. Like, that's not wrong. <laughs> I, I felt I felt much better about some of those editorial decisions I made when you get to the other end of the game. And you're like, yeah, no, that, that was the lens to understand this all through. And I think there it's worth going through and talking about the game because it wasn't really Messi and Mbappe both being successful until about 80 minutes in. I mean, like... I think I no. tweeted at one point that I was very happy that we then got out of that match with a storyline of Messi winning the World Cup without a storyline of Mbappe choking. Because, like, you could see the sl- the, the the slack chats between me and, and my boss, fellow editors, about, like, writing the headlines for what this post-match was going to be as they gradually shifted from 75 to 81 to 87 minutes, before, even before extra time. Um where it was like, it was. Like, the storyline was going to be Messi gets his World Cup while Mbappe chokes or lays an egg or whatever you want to say. Because for 80 mi- minutes, Mbappe barely touched the ball. Um, yeah, just to put
0: some numbers on this, what I think is, you know, the key story of the game. And Mbappe scores an amazing goal. And so, you know, you score an amazing goal in the World Cup final. Like, you, 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 you did great. But so, Messi completed 45 of 52 passes, including four out of six passes into the penalty area, including 13 progressive passes. He also received eight progressive passes. He was the number two outlet on the team after, obviously, Di Maria. He also uh, received a pair of passes in the penalty area and carried the ball in the penalty area. By contrast, Mbappe... Completed fifteen of twenty-two passes. He's on the ball less. That's 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 normal. But he completed none of two pass attempts into the penalty area. He only received two passes in the penalty area. He did carry the ball in the penalty area three times. He only received seven progressive passes. He, re- he was he was less. He was the primary outlet for France who had the ball less. But nonetheless, he just had a much much lesser game than Messi, who had a, like, standard dominant late-period Messi match in, you know, most important match of his career or whatever you would say. He probably would say that at a time, so it counts.
1: Yeah, and I think to that end, though, and then, it's worth talking about what this match was for the for the first 79 minutes, yep. um, which was Argentina dominated. Argentina dominated. They didn't give up a shot in the first half. Um, I think it was like sixty-five minutes. The first shot for France. Yeah, it was wild. It was abs- and, and that one was, uh, if I recall, a, a very tame effort. Sort of from distance, right at Emiliano Martinez. There, there was a, there was a header on a, on a set play
0: that went wide. That was the first ah, one just okay. before that. But right. Like again, nothing chances.
1: Yeah, and I think it's like we should talk about why that was because I do think there were a couple of surprises off the bat in this match, and that. They both work to Argentina's favor. The first was Di Maria starts, which I, I don't think was shocking, but was not a given. Um, but he starts on the left, which was surprising. And now the logic for it is not hard to understand. You want Di Maria to be an attacking force. You don't want him then on the side of, of Mbappe. That's it. Like that to me, that's, this is the whole thing. And it worked. Like it worked really, really, really well. Yep. Um, the second thing that I thought was very surprising was how France chose to try to defend Argentina early on in this match, because they did not decide to just sit back and let Argentina have the ball and let Argentina keep the ball and be conservative with it. They tried to press. They tried to get up and into Argentina and it failed miserably. Like it failed absolutely miserably. For at the beginning, at the very beginning of the match, Argentina worked hard to pass through France. But within 15 minutes, they were like, "Oh, no, we can just kick the ball over them to our outlets, and that works." And their fullbacks are not good enough defensively in those spots to track back in time and their center backs are not equipped when our outlets are predominantly wide to get out there and challenge those first ball outs and so france's defense just got taken out of this match quite easily and then argentina was in transition and and the second goal is obviously the 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 major example of this but like it's not the only example i mean argentina were dangerous throughout like the first hour because of this dynamic, where France is trying to get, and as soon as they go down a goal, now you understand they kind of have to do this, but France is trying to chase the game and just ill-equipped to do so.
0: Yeah, and and the, the, the striking thing with this to me is that France was both springing this press that didn't work, and when that press got broken or you know when they cho- when they didn't have an opportunity to spring it early possession, Argentina were able to just have the ball in midfield. Yeah. It wasn't the sort of thing where, you know, the, the player up for Argentina who completed the most pass in this game was Enzo, not Otamendi, not Romero. You know, it was they were able, you know, DePaul was on the ball a ton. They just were able to have the ball in the center of the pitch when they wanted to because France were not only, not only struggled to press the back line and create turnovers, but also once they fell back, they couldn't put solid pressure on that on that midfield. And I think this is something we talked about in, in the lead up to, to this, the idea that that Argentina would get to have the ball in midfield. And what would they be able to do having the ball in midfield? And for the most part, you know, France defended okay in those settled possession periods, but not great. Like, Argentina were able to, like, find the next pass up to Messi a lot. Honestly, Argentina found the next pass up to Messi in possession more successfully against France than they had against, against Australia. Australia yeah. is the one that really stands out to me.
1: And, and you see that this results in eventually the first goal, right? Because Di Maria gets isolated against Dembele on the wing without a fullback in support defensively. And and that's all she wrote, right? Like, Dembele uh, Dembele gets rinsed and fouls him from behind. Like, it's a stupid play. You can't make that foul once you get beaten. But, like, I am sympathetic to the idea of, like, if you are leaving Usmane Dembele on the wing, isolated against Di Maria... That's not really Dembele's fault. Like, that's a bad defensive moment and setup. Like, he's supposed to be doubling Di Maria there. You can't leave him on an island. Yeah, I don't
0: really understand how this all happened still. Because the other really important thing that happens that this, the penalty is so telling about is that Usmani Dembele wasn't just defending in the penalty area in that one moment. Right. He was regularly defending in the penalty area. And France's attacking strategy is that they will turn you over, and when they turn you over, whenever it happens, they won't try too hard in this game. They did, but generally, they won't try too hard. And that turnover will then lead to getting Mbappe and Dembele running at you. But Margitino were able to pin them back, and so you only had Mbappe. Mbappe even was dropping back sometimes. Not that he was like... Doing anything when he dropped back, a classic Daria defending when he drops back. But he was also dropping, back, and they lost their out ball.
1: Yeah, and so once they lost their out ball, they were dead. And and Deschamps makes two first half changes here for Giroud and Dembele. And I, I am sort of of the opinion that what happened here is that. He wanted to play a style that was not, um, suited to, to Giroud and Dembele. That he wanted a, a, an up and down midfielder on the right and a mobile presser at center forward. But he is loyal to his guys. Like, that has always been a Deschamps thing. Like, you have the... If you have the caps under Deschamps, you have the advantage over whoever your closest competitor at that position is. And it sort of engenders loyalty and respect and cohesiveness and all of these things. And so he made sort of a classic mistake of, of, of trying to split the baby here, where he he attempted a an approach which needed a mobile forward... To lead a press and an up and down winger on the right uh, to sort of hopefully give Mbappe space to not have to track back as long as he pressed, which Debelli is not. And he, they got caught out, right? They just got caught. And so he makes those changes. But I think the thing to understand is it's not like France get better really at that point. Like, no. Argentina are just dominant. They are dominant throughout the first 75, 80 minutes of this match. And you get one stupid Nicolas Otamendi mistake for a penalty. And then the, the, I mean, Mbappe's true moment, like, is the goal out of nowhere. Um, which is a, a tremendous goal. Just a, a tremendous moment and a tremendous goal. And you don't take anything away from that. But it is not like Argentina came under pressure. It, it was just two really, really isolated moments.
0: Yeah, you know, they they they, they eventually, they brought on Coman for Dreisman, basically just sort of running a 4-2-4 at that point. And they were able a couple of times in the 4-2-4 to get some pressure on the back line, but not in any way that adds up to two goals.
1: No, and then, like... And then, like, things get weird, right? After mm-hmm. after it's tied, and then you go to extra time, and now you've got Kamavinga at left back, and there are now moments where a more tired Messi just gets dispossessed by Kamavinga a couple of times. times. Yep. And France, as the game becomes stretched in extra time, is much more competitive. It's on much more even footing. But it's not... It's because this game devolved from a controlled tactical situation into two teams just sort of trying to trade blows that that gets France back into it I think and and
0: like the the period of two teams trying to trade blows in added in extra time is mostly a period of Argentina creating
1: really good scoring chances yeah, no, that's true. They create a ton, and, and Lautaro Martinez just misses a ton of chances and, and gets blocked. Uh, there are a couple of really, really good blocks. I think both from Opa Makano, at least one from Opa Both Meccano, by Opa Makano, yep. Which is like the classic, oh, wait, no, you're not actually a good defender. The, the mm-hmm. thing where you get yourself out of position, and then you athletically recover to make a very, very good block. Which, like, you both appreciate the ability to recover, but... And then you have to like point out that, well, like you're the reason you had to recover. Um, but in, but in both those cases, Lataro gets blocked. And then there's a couple of other cases where Lataro misses. Um, and then of course, France also have one fantastic chance to win the game at, like right before the end of, of, of extra time. And, you know, Emmy Martinez comes up huge.
0: Yeah. Cola Milani's chance was. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I the, the last, the last 30 minutes are last really 40 minutes are just vibes and they were a really just super enjoyable vibes football period that would have been less enjoyable in the end if it had ended in the sort of you know broadly unjust france victory that easily could have happened in penalties but it didn't so then you just look back on the vibes period as like a wild time that we all shared I i think that The other the other thing that I want to mention here is how good Argentina's defenders were. Yeah, I think that you know part of this is like a whole team strategy. Again, this is something we we did talk about a little bit In, in the preview. The idea that Argentina's defenders are very happy defending in the open field, so long as they have some kind of numerical advantage. And for the most part, what happened here was that you would have Giroud or Kolomuani and Mbappe trying to attack, but against several defenders. And I saw people talk about the way that Romero and Otamendi got beat a bunch of times in this game, and it is true, as we were watching it, you saw them individually get beat, But then there were more defenders there. And for the most part, what they did was slow the attack down. And they were extremely effective in a way that is like, you know, reminiscent of, it was a different strategy, but in a way that is reminiscent of what England did to slow Mbappe down, that you get a bunch of numbers in there. And even if there is some transition you are still able to defend Mbappe because you are defending him in the situation you wanted to be defending him in the first place. It requires very good individual performances as well. And I think that you, you saw both of those things in this match. It's the only way you have Mbappe have a disappointing match, obviously. But like that, that's what they did.
1: Yeah, and I, I you could sort of see it in the, um, it's an interesting um, contrast here, right? So you have the moment in the first half where Dembele is on an island and gets rinsed And then commits the penalty, which shapes the match. And then in the second half the second half of extra time, there's this moment right before the end where um Mbappe beats, I think like three defenders in the box. And then you have Paolo Dybala having tracked back, who then clears the ball off of Mbele's feet, as like the fourth guy mopping up. Right? Mm-hmm. And, like, when you have an attacker defending in his own box, that is the thing you want him to be doing. You don't want him to be responsible for stopping the very, very good attacker on the other end. What you want him to be is expending the extra effort to get back in support of the defenders who are there but will likely have trouble at some points defending very, very good attackers. Um So, you know, all in all, I think the chaos of the last 45 minutes of the final obscured a little bit that like Argentina was the much better team in this match.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, looking back on this World Cup and some of my overall skepticism of Argentina as a top of the world team, their performances in the semifinal and final were, you know, as good as you can expect any national team to be in these situations. And with somewhat different strategies, somewhat different personnel, but, you know, everything really worked. This match, I think, in particular was just a showpiece for the way that this Argentina team has been built to get the most out of Messi by putting a ton of passers around him. A very, very different way from other teams that have tried to get the most out of Messi by using him to enable the team to put a lot of defenders on the pitch or to try to just put seven strikers on the pitch. That one didn't work as well in retrospect, some real problems there. But I think that the choice to – the recognition that the team had these passers, but then the choice to use them. Like, it's not obvious that you would want to start Alexis McAllister in every match – he is a relatively limited player. He is a good player for Brighton. But what he is is a very good possession passer and a solid outlet wide for a midfielder. And that balances the team really well while you're working to keep and hold possession and and, and maintain pressure on the other team. And, and, and so I think that McAllister is kind of like indicative of the way that this Argentina team understood what they were supposed to do and the way that they used that passing talent to
1: win a World Cup. Not bad. You know, I do think also, it's just sort of worth pointing out here that the makeup of this Argentina team was made up of a bunch of guys who wanted to win the World Cup for Messi. And this is the first time that Argentina has had that dynamic as opposed to having Messi Having to win the world cup for a bunch of guys. As good <laughs> yeah. as Messi's teammates were, when you're talking about Higuain or Aguero, when you're talking about, you know, guys like Mascherano of his generation, they were not guys who came into the Argentina setup already basically idolizing Lionel Messi. And so the dynamic here was 100%. This team wanted to win the cup for Messi. And that was, like, it's just a different dynamic. And maybe these things don't matter on the pitch, right? Like, maybe, like, like at the end of the day, who knows, right? He comes down to penalties and, God, let me tell you, so relieved that Messi and Mbappe make their penalties so that that is not a storyline. Right? And then it just comes down to their their teammates. And Emi Martinez is out of his mind. Like, it is just a very, it's just a very cool thing, I think. And the end of the day, <laughs> Mbappe didn't need a World Cup here, you know? One of the other things that worked out
0: really well for Argentina is, I don't think either of us talked a ton about Angel Di Maria in our preparation for this. And the reason is that Angel Di Maria has played about 400 minutes of football this season. And, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was pretty good last season, but it was like clearly kind of the end at PSG. And his performances in Serie A have definitely reinforced that idea that this is kind of the end for him. But because of that he was on very few minutes coming into this. He was less tired, less overworked than he'd ever been in his career coming into an international tournament. And he had like, you know, and then he still gets injured, still can only play so many minutes. But when he played, he was an elite talent. He was able to get that last little run out of his legs to And combined with his just, like, deep understanding of space, the ability to get open, the ability to be available as an outlet for a pass, is, I think, one of those really underrated skills in football. It's one of the things where it's been kind of fun playing with the data and figuring out what you can get out of event data, and if you can, like back extrapolate who received passes and how many passes targeted them or came to them, you can really see the way that teams work and one of the key ways that players have value. And this from Di Maria was just a master class in how to get open. And for him to be able to do that at 35 when kind of looked like it was over for him and then to score the big goal at a World Cup wonderful all the way through yeah
1: and like he's the only guy who was other than messi who had played in two previous world cups the entire team turned over from 2014 um and he was also on the team in 2010 and honestly i sort of thought before he got hurt in 20 i I know they made the finals in 2014 i thought before he got hurt in the world cup in 2010 that was the year um he was just yep. sort of at his monstrous destroyer, you know, sort of like free atom chaos energy peak. And, you know, as Di Maria aged as a player, he did the, he did like the very prototypical thing of becoming increasingly good on the ball. But the, the athleticism wanes. And so the, the, the chaos wanes and, and. Seeing him in this role, which was a perfect fit, and seeing him get on the end of the goal, which was a perfect, just a gorgeous counter-attacking goal, um, it was, it was nice to see, and it, it felt, sort of in that moment, it felt right that Di Maria would have basically the defining, drawing the penalty, scoring the goal performance of this World Cup, kind of as, 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 as Messi's Argentinian Scotty Pippen, um, and then, of course, everything else happened.
0: yeah, it was it was a real good time. It was a real good World Cup final. So we are going to be continuing to podcast on a somewhat uh, unusual schedule coming up over the next two weeks. We're both going to be traveling a bunch over the holidays, but the podcast will come, and honestly, we're going to be trying to figure out what we're going to be podcasting about. And so we definitely would love to see you in the Discord. If you sign up at patreon.com, so I double pivot, you can join the Discord. We'll be talking about what will be podcasting event when we get our time into podcast. been doing some live Q&As. Going to try to maybe get one of those in if we can schedule the time. And yeah, so we're really looking forward to it. Hope you have a great holiday. Hope you're enjoying these uh, four days without any football except for a bunch of uh, cup matches, which already started. But uh, yeah. Looking forward to getting started again. Looking forward to a transfer market. Looking forward to all of that.
1: Cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all.